says, get that India, big boy. another episode of the tip shoot i'm john or better known as 4020 and we're on location at the ever growing home for Parramatta Eels at kelly and joining me as always is my good friend 60s 60s mate you want to do the rest for me mate it's great to be actually on location for once rather than just talking over the phone to you in our in our tip sheet podcast and uh we're very fortunate today that we have a special guest with us and uh just going back in time at the conclusion of the 2018 season and following the review of the football operations, the Eels made the decision to appoint a general manager of football. That man was Mark O'Neill, and we're privileged to have him sit down with TCT today. Thanks for joining us, mate. No worries, Craig. Thank you for having us, John. It was a big day for the Eels yesterday on the footy field. Um, we had the Pathways players on show in the schoolboys final. Then we had three Eels on the biggest stage in the New South Wales Origin victory. What do those type of achievements mean for the club? I think they're they're really exciting. They're massive. You know, they're, they're great for the individuals. Obviously, that's where it'll mean the most to those individuals. You know, winning a schoolboys uh, competition or even participating. We had a couple in Westfield uh, Sports Eye as well. Um, but you know, Origins often considered the p- pinnacle of our game, and for those guys that have, have um, debuted last game or, or you know, played. Last night as well with Nathan, uh, notwithstanding you know Reggie's there as well. It's a great achievement. So that they've created memories that no one can ever take it away from now. They're Origin players, and as for the uh, young kids coming through, well they'll be aspiring to be in that position as well in a, in a few years' time. And hopefully we can uh, create a pathway and nurture that and develop them so that you know goes from actual concept to reality. And of course, it's also. Um must be good for the uh, the club and the coaching staff when you look at players who I suppose they've worked and achieved that goal through being part of the Parramatta club. Yeah, we, I mean we're incredibly proud, uh, proud of our people. I know that when you know over the years, over the, my tenure, we, we did some surveys and that of our pathway um, staff and and um, you know our people would work. In, at that level, and one of the findings that come back was, you know, from them and players and uh, other people as well, was that our people are important, and that's that's one of our greatest assets. So, it's it's incredibly proud for them. It's incredibly proud moment for us as well that um, you, you're providing that opportunity for those athletes to be the best they can be, and then they go and achieve something else as well. So, I mean, it's you don't always get um, uh, things 100% right, but you know we do like to develop the talent. That's what. That's what we. That's the aim of the game, really, isn't it? We mentioned it earlier in earlier episodes of the podcast, but at the end of 2019, Junior Boyle came out on record and said that he sort of of himself and of his other eels that he wanted to go out and aspire to representative honours in order to better themselves and better the team. Yeah. And to see him and then Gutherson and Brown, yeah. obviously Campbell Gillard, not just talk the talk but walk the walk is obviously a good validation of you know the our operations, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. You know, and Junior being a, a local local product here, um, you know, in his formative years. It's great, you know, he's matured into such a great leader. You know, there's, he's a really good role model for not only for the Pacifica uh, guys coming through, but for everyone. And when, when someone like Junior, when he speaks, people listen. So for him to make a statement and comment like that would, would have resonated with a lot of his, uh, his peers and his teammates to, um, to achieve some greatness. Uh, and, you know, him and the other two that played last night have certainly certainly had that recognition this year, which is quite fitting. All right, well, let's take a step back. Um, we've talked about the origin in the schoolboys, which is fantastic, but you yourself, Mark, can you provide an overview of what being the general manager of football at Parramatta entails? Sure. It's, um, what the remit of my role, there's a lot, uh, I, I guess, that um, that you're responsible for uh, or accountable for, at least, and, and you know, part of that, in, in no particular order, is that, you know, Brad's, Brad Arthur's in charge of like all the coaching and everything like that. So the general manager will look after primary everything else around that to allow you know the, the, the focus of the coach to be put on those high payoff um, areas around that. So uh, adding support in that way and supporting the coach, uh, part of the salary cap management, um, you, know, you know, sits with the GM, the roster management, 
the operations, the uh, pathways of participation, um, recruitment, all, all comes under a bit of athletic um, performance. Any any consultants that we do have around that, the integrity, sort of matter. Um, so there's a it's a it's a strategic role, um, not so much at, at operational level, although there is a lot of overlap, and uh, it's making sure that that we're best placed uh, to achieve sustained success. It's in line with the American model of sports manager, isn't it? Where you've got the coach and the general manager sort of defined working hand in hand, but also separating the sort of on-field stuff from the operational stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, Brad and I are peer-to-peer level and we work very close mm-hmm. and, uh, and um, you know, you're in each other's pockets a lot of the time to, you know, try and get the best out- outcome for the club. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's the model that works here. Paramount is a, a very big club, you know, so, uh, and, and it, takes, uh, it takes a lot of people to, uh, to serve us appropriately, um, you know, what we're trying to achieve. I, I sometimes look back at um, a period like 2016 when, this is before Bernie was appointed to the club and all that salary cap stuff yes. happened here and I think to myself, I don't know how BA dealt with all the yeah. stuff that was going around when there was no one in place to, um, to do, you know, like that sort of CEO um, football manager aspects of, of a CEO that would have, you know, Bernie obviously took on when he became CEO. So there was probably some stuff that you now are responsible for that, you know, would have been um, that before your role existed at the club would have been spread amongst a few people. Yeah. I, I don't know how VA did that in that, in that period that, of time. I think the scope of a club like the Paramount Eels is just so massive, isn't it? Yeah. From NRL down to the juniors. So yeah, that sort of division of power makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's right. You know, you 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 um, get a team, quality people, um, capable people, uh, and you provide them with that opportunity to uh, to um, show their capability, I guess. And and I agree. I have no idea how how um, Brad and Bernie, you know, would would got through things. I remember having the conversation with Bernie because when I came on board, I was incredibly busy and. You know, the workload didn't diminish from Bernie or Brad themselves. It was, you know, maybe some of the things just weren't getting done at the um, level of need. We used to talk about that <laughs> quite frequently, Bernie and, Bernie <laughs> and I. Yeah. Now, we've had, a, we, we've had a couple of informal chats in the last 12 months, and you've made it clear that you're a lot more interested in talking about the club than about yourself. But I do want to ask a couple of Mark O'Neill-type questions. So if we can go back two years, you've just been appointed... Can you share some of your preparations that, that you went through to become part of the Eels Club? Yeah, sure. I guess um, uh, for me personally, opportunity comes at some uh, random times, and uh, don't they? And uh, you know, this opportunity came up, and thankfully, I was the successful candidate because it's a wonderful club, and I'm really enjoying my role here and working with with all the people. I guess for me, uh, when I finished. You know, playing, I'd, I'd spent eight and a bit years at the NRL and, uh, you know, in various capacities, starting off as a match review uh, committee member and then working my way up through to operations management and then general management level there. Uh, I, I got to interact with a lot of, you know, all the clubs and see a lot of um, issues and matters that clubs are dealing with and it gave me exposure to 16 clubs. Uh, uh, problems that they were trying to solve if you like and when you work in a club you're only trying to solve those ones unique to your club so my scope of learning was was um, accelerated I could say in a role like that uh, I, I, I wanted to upskill and not just be let's say an ex, an ex footballer, an ex player, a job for the boys type of thing so I completed an MBA uh, around that space also I did a, a bit of my own study around what a, what the optimum general manager looks like, and I, I spent some time with the four um, major sports in the US. I went to um, some Premiership winning clubs in the NRL. Went to two Premiership winning clubs in in the AFL. Spent some time um, understanding sort of Australian cricket, how they operate with with Brad Haddon. Uh, some Olympic sports. I met with some business leaders, HR professionals. Just trying to 
funnel it all into some uh, to a workable sort of philosophy, if you like, of, of how that could be applied to our game at rugby league, and knowing that not every club's the same, and one model might be successful at one club, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be successful at, at every other club. So, coming up with a, a generalised philosophy around that and how it could best position the club for sustained success, whilst bringing the best out of the people, the players, and having a you know like a strong engagement with our consumer being members, fans. And, um, and partners so that's you know that took me a, a few years I put that together and uh, that was in sort of report format and that's something that I refer to now and acknowledging that you need to be agile enough to just just change and keep learning and and um, just keep looking to implement and apply um, anything anything new that's going to create a competitive advantage so that's 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 what I did I also spent some time away from the game I was I was, I was working in um, commercial with, uh, with Woolworths in the business management section there, so worked for a wonderful leader uh, who she taught me many, many, um, many things and, and improved my capability of just getting things done. You have to be agile and fast, uh, particularly in the project I was working with, which was in meat, uh, so that has a shelf life, so you've got to make decisions based on you know, the best uh, reasons and information you've got at the time and with all the right people um, at the table. And, in many ways, that's what rugby league's like. You've got to get all the right people together uh, and make decisions based upon, you know, factual information or as best as you possibly can. I'd have mentioned there the um, scenarios that are common across uh, across clubs, sporting clubs, maybe rugby league clubs, but you know, a range of clubs. But then there'd be um, issues faced by clubs which might be unique to them. Is that a fair? Thing to yeah, say from yeah, your experience? Yeah, definitely. I mean, clubs, uh, if we look at the whole game perspective, if, if clubs interact more and, and, and uh, be more forthcoming and sharing information, and, and this year's been fantastic for that, I might say, um, I think that, yeah, they'll be better off. But there's, there's if you look at clubs that are, you know, like say, have a fundamental difference either between a recruitment club or a development club, uh, the scale even, you know, they might not be dealing with those type of magnitude of problems. And it's not to say that they couldn't have value in solving them if they ever come up, it's just that they um, might not have the, um, the experience to, uh, um, to add too much value from a historic perspective. So as you just elaborated on, Mark, the, the U of two years ago brought a really fascinating like, sort of breadth and depth of knowledge into this new role, but you also spoke about agility and being agile in the role. So in the two years since, if we fast forward, what have you learned about the Parramatta Eels in that process? Yeah, well, it's interesting. You never stop learning, do you? I think I've been in, um, you know, an NRL program really since I've been 17 or uh, two years abroad and, and, and 12 months. So, you know, you could count those sort of three years out of it. But one thing I did learn about uh, the Eels is that it's a really, really big club. You know, it's, it's one thing in fairness, I think I may have underestimated the scale um, um, before joining the club, uh, however, <laughs> I soon worked it out pretty quick. And and with with the scale and the level of uh, complexity that, that's associated with that, uh, like all complex uh, problems that need to be solved, it takes more than one person to do them. And so having a good team around you uh, is is critical. And um, you know, and I feel like as a club, we you know we are building towards that. I do feel that we are continuously improving on the field and off the field. And uh, the importance of that, I guess, is having the, the right people around, uh, empowering them to, you know, to run their, run their, um, their program or their, their part of the business, I think is important. Mm -hmm. That way we can, we can continually have, you know, the, um, the operational excellence, but we can also have the foresight to look ahead to make sure that we're, we're not only are we strong today, but we're strong tomorrow as well. That's right. So as a natural follow-up to the complexity of the Parramatta Eels and your role itself, what enthuses you most about being the, uh, the general manager of football and the greatest challenge in that role as well? Well, I love working with people, you know. It's, uh, everyone's different and uh, I really love that. And I love working with sport, obviously. It's a passion of mine. It's a passion of ours, you know, which we, we all share, isn't it? And it's a, it's a passion of all your listeners as well. So uh, I think, you know, being in a privileged position to work in the game uh, with an organisation such as the Eels, it's got a large fan base, 
um, the, the, you know, key influences. We have the ability to influence out there. We do that positively. You know, it has a great in, in, uh, impact on our consumer and enrich their lives. So that that's exciting. That enthuses me. I, I guess the, the challenge moving forward is is um, how we create our own own history. We've got a proud history. The club, been, you know, started in in 1947. The premierships that we won throughout the 80s. You know, the the talented players and the nationals that we produced that everyone rightfully identifies the club with. You know, we're extremely proud of that. And any success that we get now moving forward does not diminish their achievement one bit. You know, it just adds to what we can do at the club. So that's a challenge that we're all facing with is, you know, that excellence, that continued sustained, you know, become that destination club for for players, for staff, for commercial fans, just have that attraction. We're a big city, we're a big city, Parramatta, and um, we've got world-class facilities and, you know, transferring that into our own piece of history is uh, is a challenge and it's an exciting one. Uh, I think there was a, a great measure that came out of the scale of Parramatta's impact when it came to the ratings that for the year that was released yeah. about the, the about the pay platform viewership and I think even free to air as well. We were, I think we led the, um, the Foxtel and yeah. the KO uh, by some considerable margin, and, and, and I think we were top second, was it, on free to wear? Yeah. Yeah. We, we moved the needle. The Parramatta Eels moved the needle, you know, in terms of rating, which is great uh, for us from a club perspective. It's also great from a games perspective. And one thing I remember, guys, was when I was talking to Nathan Hindmarsh, you know, when I, when I first came to the club, I, I did like a, an onboarding piece with them so I could help uh, my personal values align with the values of the club. And, all, and by way of doing that, I connected with, you know, some of the past greats, both as a player or non-player or whatnot. And I asked them three questions about, um, you know, what does the club mean to you? How has it impacted your life? And in one or a few words, what is the best, you know, thing about the club? And I remember talking to Nathan Hindmarsh and just in general conversation, he was saying that he'd heard about how big the club was, you know, his whole career, if you like. And he's playing here so he could see it firsthand. But he didn't actually realise just the scale of that supporter base until he was working at Fox, where he happened to travel. Everywhere he went, there was, you know, a greater number of Parramatta uh, supporters than than anyone else. And uh, to hear that from a legend like Heine, who's uh, spent his his whole time here, you know, know, it's quite impactful, isn't it? You know, it really puts it in perspective that he's a guy that knows everything about the club and then he was still like learning he was still surprised somewhat just the, the size of it so well we we certainly see it all the time with our with our site with where our readers and um, listeners come from it's it's very much australia wide yeah. yeah. and um even beyond we actually have a you know a surprising engagement internationally now yeah you know, we've had people from canada uh, from america from europe reach out to us so yeah the Cumberland throw has taken off. Well, not just, that, not just that, but the <laughs> multinational. <laughs> well, they, they developed um, a lot of people, especially in North America, developed a, a more of a, an interest in rugby league yeah, via, the, you know, yeah. via the issues around COVID. Yeah, and the, the season sort of sparked a, yeah. you know, a fire of interest over in North America. Yeah, that's wonderful. And uh, via developing their interest in uh, the Parramatta Reels, they're obviously, I think it's, it's part of. Um, where the world is now, that they 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 start to reach out and look out in social media for yeah. Parramatta Eels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's how a lot no, of them came to came to discover uh, the Cumberland Throw. Um, now, just on uh, what you were touching on before with uh, building towards success, since finishing last in 2018, the Eels have now been in finals footy for the last couple of seasons. That starts to look like a club building towards window, a premiership window. But there has been some noise about internal dissatisfaction with our results and about next year being make or break for BA. How do you view the last two seasons and what are your expectations going forward? I think the last uh, two seasons have been successful. We've had year-on-year growth. It's been, uh, it's been wonderful. And, yeah, look, you know, like there's no... 
no one's going to shy away from the fact that we would have liked to have gone further in the finals than what we did in both years, but particularly this year. And uh, I guess the circumstances around when you have a look at, at the years, and it, 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 you know, you can refer back to the business strategy if you like. It was it was done, albeit pre-COVID, but it was a three-year business strategy. And if you have a look at some of the metrics, and you know, we've achieved a lot in terms of our strategic plan, and some of those things include, um, you know, finishing third. You know, top four finish, finishing third. We did spend eight weeks at first on the ladder, which is, is something you're something new for me. I've never experienced that before. And, and Brad, um, you know, Brad's win rate 68 percent this year. You know, which now he's got a career strike rate of fifty percent with four players in Origin. We had that on that strategic document. We've got four of them in there, albeit in the squad, uh, three have played. You know, so that's an increase from last year as well when we had one. Um, and, and we were lucky enough to have Duffo as 18th man there as well. So um, you look at that defensively, we finished third. You know, last year we were ninth. You know, that was a, a, a specific targeted focus you know, on that. There's, there's any number of sort of metrics that, that stand out that, that um, point to where we're going uh, in the right direction, heading north. <laughs> a lot of us, uh, a lot of us we, we, we want things yesterday and we want them now. But, uh, you know, you can't gain experience in these big games without gaining experience. I look at the Melbourne Storm uh, in the final last year in 2019. They blew us off the park. We weren't in the, we weren't, we weren't in the game. We were up 12 mil this year against them. And the, how aroused our team was at that point at being 12 mil was fantastic because they were up for it and, and, you know, and they were playing well. However, if the scores were reversed the other way around, Melbourne, I don't think, would be as aroused. Go back and and take the kick off, you know, have the kick off and move on. But that was a first for us, you know, and that's exciting. And like it was when we beat them this year, 14 nil. The only time we held to nil this year, there may have been some players out, granted, but this is what builds the belief and the confidence. And you know, that's the first time in the finals, like when we can get up to that magnitude against Melbourne. You know, next time that happens, it won't be as surprising. You know what I mean? So we can sort of go on from there. Melbourne were too good for us and beat us. Same, but then if you go the following week, to come back from 8 mil down to be 18-8 up against the Rabbitohs, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, people uh, will say, look, um, you know, you probably should go on with it there. And they're probably right. We probably should have, you know, but we didn't. And, uh, you know, to get to that point where, like, Hazy Dunster on debut, Micah Sivo and Blake Ferguson are out, Jenko, three of our back five, you know, that would impact any team, and of course, Murata, who was, you know, has had a terrific year. They're not excuses. That's just reality. Yeah, you know, they're reasons rather than excuses. Yeah. South, yeah. South yeah. were too good on the day, and they yeah. they deserve their win. But you know, th there's there's definitely some good signs there for us. You know, and the other thing too is, I think there's what there'll be 13 other teams that wish they were in our position mm -hmm. throughout the year as well. So, yeah, you actually uh, circled a, a result I want to talk about. Sure. And as a follow-up to what Sixers was asking for, to still us down. Uh, Melbourne ended up romping over Canberra, and then the grand final was sort of three quarters of the game they dominated Penrith before Penrith came back. Yep. I don't think it's unfair to suggest that the Parramatta Eagles gave the eventual premiers in Melbourne their most competitive clash of the 2020 final series in that barn burner up in Brisbane. So, in light of that, how do you assess a result like that? Is it a case of looking at that loss as to how close to a crucial breakthrough the club is, or do you look at it more from room a squander opportunity? Well, I guess it's. Uh the piece around, um, you know, I made earlier about you can't get experience until you get experience. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, if you fail, you know, fail fast, learn fast, speeds up excellence. You know, we've got to make sure we capture those, those learnings from that and make sure we capture what we did good as well. Uh, sure, you know, there could be, uh, you know, a missed opportunity. Um, we would like to have gone, you know, if we look at it holistic, beyond the second week. Uh, that was not to be. Um, but, you know, I, I am excited that, that we were able to, to, to push Melbourne in the manner we did in comparison to that finals game last year. And even that game Very itself, different. there were some disruptive things, wasn't there? You had Micah getting further both with the game. Yep. And then a couple of them back one. Uh, I think it was, what, three or four back ones in the course of that game? So, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, and, and those things can happen, happen in the game, yeah. you know, that uh, we would have liked to have <laughs> got in front of Melbourne Stadium for us for the final thing, but... 
I mean, you know, you know, the guys that have learned from that, as they will from this origin experience as well, and bring that back and share with the group. I, I'm really optimistic about, uh, you know, our prospects next year and beyond. It's a, you know, and that's that's what that's really exciting. We uh, we spoke about this prior as well. Uh, sorry, prior in another podcast. Mm. Um, the parallels between, and you mentioned this, the parallels between the 2019 game against Melbourne Storm and then the 2020 game against the Melbourne Storm in the finals. In terms of time possession splits and possession rates, they're almost identical. Uh-huh. And yet, in one game, Parramatta lost 32 yeah. nil, in the other game, they yeah. finished Melbourne Storm. And look, that, exactly. And and I'm not losing, the, I'm not losing sight of the fact. I'm acutely aware of it. we lost both games, yeah. you know. So there is yeah, might be comparable, right. you know, a loss with another loss, and which one's worse, worse than one other. And I get that it's not a victory. However, you know, I, I think it is an improvement, and um, they're obviously. The benchmark, Penrith was the benchmark all year, and we, we were the only team until the grand final date that ever beat them. Uh, so Melbourne did that as well. So we actually know we've beaten the top four teams. You know, we, we, we know that we can do it. We, you might go into the games before you do it, uh, thinking that, geez, you know, we hope we win today. But now, when we go into those games, we know we can do it because we've done it before. So <clears throat> now, we've, we've just asked you what your take is on the last two seasons and the final series. What what about VA and the coaching staff? What do, what do they take out of this year's final series? Yeah, well I mean I, I guess, you know, it'd be it might be it might be a handy one for, for VA and the coaches to to hear their exact view, but from from my conversations and things like that, they're excited. You know, they they've had a look, they've reflected, they've you know, on on what um, yeah, what the season brought to them, and, and part of the reflection, something that I'm big on too, is is capturing what you've done well, right? Because if you can't define success, right, and what you did well, you can't repeat it. Mm-hmm. So therefore, could be considered a fluke, you know. So there, there's a lot around that. There's uh, confidence, you know. Uh, I refer, I've referred previously to the four minute mile, you know. Once someone, you know, Roger Bannister broke that kick the door down for others to, to break it as well. So it's, uh, you know, getting a few of those victories over teams, top four teams, you know, uh, really adds to that confidence, it adds to that belief. It's, it, everyone's hungry and enthusiastic and, and, uh, and you know, we'll, we'll be back, we'll reconvene, you know, for our, our, our shot at next year's title very shortly, yeah. Just, just to that, and, I, and it, this has only just sort of come into my head with that, I didn't ask about the players in in a question like that, but at the end of that loss to South, and Gutho had the players gathered around. The yeah. report was that he was saying, "Remember this feeling, what it feels like right now." Yeah. What was your take on that? As soon as you you learned, that's what what he was talking about. Yeah, well, I thought that was good. I thought it was a great sign of leadership. I mean, uh, Gutho is our captain, and he is incredibly consistent. You know. He was rewarded for his talent this year, not only in Origin, for his exceptional performances, but also um, with the Daly M medal, fullback of the year, and yeah. runner-up. and Within very distance of Jack Wright. That's right, that's right. And you think of Gutho's last game, uh, a competition proper yeah. game, you know, where he was exceptional as well, we didn't poll. But that, I mean, that's what he had, that's the that way it goes, you know? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I saw that as uh, I saw that as a you know as a positive. It's, it's, it shows that you know there's somebody there that's not real happy with where they finished. And in terms of from the team perspective, they had a you know had a successful ter- successful year. Some may consider, but like all champions, they're not just content with that. They want to do more and more. And for Gutho and Junior and Brownie and Maddo and Mitch, you know, like the the, the player leadership group to. to to feel like that and have those comments, you know, I think it's great. Yeah, I think, I, it's, I think it's really good. I think in that, you know, in a moment like that where you, you're no doubt feeling that personal disappointment. Yep. But to immediately be thinking of the other blokes. Yeah. And getting yeah you, that your thought straight away is what that what that has to mean for them right now in this moment. What can they get out of it? And I think Gutho displayed uh, any number of, you know great leadership sort of moments throughout the year and you look back at you know the Raiders game when yeah. he had to stand up and he, he owned that and, yeah. and Mitch unfortunately went down and, and that's just a continuation and that's a continuation of his uh, personal development as well as a leader you know he's 
he's a relatively young guy for uh, for someone that's been you know captain for a while, and uh, and I think he's doing a really good job. Mm. Mm. So the Parramatta Eagles are always in the news one way or another, and the last month has seen a lot of uh, headlines regarding roster confirmation and roster churn. And at the top of that, a lot of fans are curious to know what's the process behind the um, result from Upper Jimmy's speed sample. Okay, well, the process, as everyone's aware, that, that, that there's been a positive A sample, and uh, and from there, um, the Sports Integrity Australia, which is the old uh, ASADA, essentially, um, you know, we'll, we'll test the B sample. Michael has a right to be present for there for that B sample or some other representation. And then if the B sample comes back negative, that's the end of the, the, the process. If it comes back positive, we'll, he'll have a, the right for interview with the uh, Sports Integrity Australia. Uh, and following that, that interview, they will take some time to deliberate and um, recommend um, some further sort of action. When I say action, that could be a, a tribunal yep. hearing or something conducted by the NRL and if Michael chooses to to pursue that he could have the matter heard there and uh, before an outcome is determined around that I guess but our, our primary focus at the moment is making sure that Michael feels supported um, and his family his partner Kristen uh, making sure that that um, everyone's uh, you know coping as best they possibly can in what would be a one would imagine a very difficult uh, set of circumstances. So uh, that's where our focus is at the moment. And now if we sort of separate Michael Jennings and the, the legal side of the Sports Integrity Australia things from the actual happenings on the Saturday the 10th of October, I'm actually curious to see what the, sort yeah. of the, the day transpired for the club because it's singularly unique, isn't it? It's the biggest game of the year. You're playing South Sydney in the home final of Saturday football. And all of a sudden, the wee hours morning, your you know, first choice centre has been ruled out because of the the positive A sample coming back. You've got a rookie rushed into a, an already new look back line because you've got Blake Ferguson and Michael Siegel out as well. Uh, can you walk us through that chaos? Because that, that's what it was, it was chaos. It was, yeah, it was. Um, it was early early in the morning, uh, sure when it was when it was made known uh, to ourselves. And when I say that, that's Brad, myself. Um, it, it, it's somewhat new, I haven't had a matter like this personally that I've I've dealt with like you know from a club's sort of perspective and so there was a high level of uncertainty unknown what was known was that he won't be playing that day so Brad had to get his thinking cap on straight away and come up with uh, with a bit of a strategy and, and, and on the back of Micah and and uh, Fergo being out as well added a, a level of complexity to that problem um, so communicating to the replacement, which eventually, you know, was, was, was Hayes Dunster. So Brad would get him communicating to the rest of the team, uh, you know, what had happened, try and control the, any sort of messaging sort of out there, making sure that, that you know, that um, just reaffirmed to, to Michael and, and Kristen that, uh, you know, due process had been followed and, and, you know, they're acting appropriately, the SIA, and... So it was crazy, it seemed to go really quick, but I guess having Hayes Dunster come and make his debut and play really well. Yeah, he didn't embarrass himself by any means. No way, played, played really well. Uh, shows, was a sort of a, a testament to, you know, the coaching and preparation that um, everyone had done because Hayes hadn't played a game of the year, but he'd been out here training his backside off every time. So yeah. Ryan Carr deserves a, a big call out the way that he engaged, you know, I guess from player 18 to, to 36. So as a performance star in getting him fit and uh, and well prepared throughout and sustained it throughout the whole year. So when he could come in, play 80 minutes at the level he did in possibly the biggest stage and uh, on debut. So that's what you dream of as a, uh, as a young kid, don't you? Making your debut on a big stage in front of a lot of people, audience, and he did really well. So, you know, managing sort of all those complexities that come through you know, from that perspective alone, in terms of a replacement from Hayes, I thought was, uh, you know, was really good. I, I must admit, I did go in with a, a little bit of confidence around Hayes, having seen the work that had yeah. been done with him and yep. the, the fact that he, he'd had those, he'd had some moments at training over the previous six to eight weeks where he'd filled in in that position. But you're right about the, yeah, the, the work that Ryan had done. I, I remember there was a, 
uh, during extras one week, um, they worked him to a point of exhaustion just with fielding kicks. Yeah. It was uh, bomb followed by grubber, followed by bum, followed by grubber, followed by bomb, by grubber, yeah, yeah. and it just went on and on with Murph and and um, and Ryan Carr and um, and he he's looked exhausted. And I Ryan Carr's message to him was, "It's exhausting, isn't it?" And he's like, "Guess what? That's what PNRL's about, mate." Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the thing about it is, he's a great bloke, Hayes. He's a local, yeah. local yeah. junior, which is fantastic. And he went well in the nines as well too. Yeah, but he got a taste of the nines in Perth this year, and uh, that was his sort of first real introduction, if you like, to that 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 level. And uh, he did a really good job there. So every opportunity he's had, he's he's grabbed with both hands, and they may have been few and far between. But but you can just you can't help but just admire the, the person for that, and, and his peers as well. Some of them yeah. didn't get the chance to play and contribute like they would have otherwise had the opportunity to do if there was. You know, pathways games, um, uh, second tier games, and that for him to uh, participate in. But you know, it was a wonderful, wonderful story for Hayes, and he's got his debut, which is great for him, great for the club, and uh, hopefully inspire many others to come through as well. Well, it was great for us to watch. We've been watching Hayes since yeah. he's been in the, uh, the in, in the in the mats, and uh, and I, we're obviously going to talk to you a little bit about pathways in a moment. But that's obviously something that we're passionate about, being able to follow. The young players from 16s and even a little bit before when they're in some of the development yeah. uh, squads and what have you all the way through to to first grade um so just um just going back on um on uh, the questions now we uh, on, and back onto that particular day um with uh, the game against south uh, up on the screen came the announcement of the departure of 11 players and since then there's been a number of recruits announced. We've also had um, George Jennings, it's, uh, who's off to the, the storm. To us, there's going to be an exciting injection of new recruits and pathways players into the full-time squad. How close are we now to being finished with our 2021 roster? Yeah, we're, we're not too far off, to be fair. We've got three spots remaining. So that is, we've got 27 players signed. Um, you're right. We're obviously equally excited about the talent that that will be coming coming in, um, and they appear to be um, good characters as well. We believe that the environment here, rule change, coaching structures, will be able to bring the best out of these players, and it will provide a lot of um, uh, internal competitive rivalry, healthy amongst the. The players that you, the playing group that you need to, to bring the best out in you. So, um, yeah, we've got a, we've got a little bit to go in terms of those three players, but we want to make sure that, that I mean, we're, we're compliant with the rules as you yeah, have, yeah. have to have twenty four, you know, by first of November, and um, so you know we've well and truly done that, and just making sure that you know who we add will be quality, be a point of difference, and, and make us better. And um, just further on the signings that have been announced. At first glance, a lot of people are thinking, "Okay, well, this is strength. This is adding uh, strength to the depth of the of the roster." But in my opinion, I reckon there's about two or three of these new recruits who are going to push for a top seventeen spot come round one. Yeah, and I think it provides some um, options around the bench, most definitely. Um, was it an intent to create new options off the bench for next year? Oh, look. Not, not entirely. Like we, we want the players to be, to to be competitive. We want the players to see themselves playing in the NRL. Yeah. You know, that and they do. Yeah, that's what every player does. And uh, and with that, um, with that vision of it, yeah, we can provide opportunity. And the opportunity will be how we perform on the, the training pitch, how we perform in the gym, how we conduct ourselves around the club, how we prepare ourselves mentally, our behaviours. And all that and opportunities, as I mentioned at the start, you know, can come at random times. And you know, for these young athletes, they just need to be ready to grab it when it's there because you just don't know when the next one is going to come, if indeed it does, uh, particularly those that might have had multiple chances uh, previously. So, we, you know, we'd like to see some of those players uh, scrape into the, into the bench, we'd also like to see them see themselves become starters at some point. We would love all our players, irrespective of whether that's just to keep developing, hmm. you know, keep learning something new. Be a better player tomorrow than what you were today, and um, 
it, it does add to the overall depth and that's important too because you know the, the, the quality of training that you're able to produce right uh, impacts the, the quality of performance that you can get out on the field so if you're training at a higher level and um, I, you know and, and intensity you're more used to it at, uh, when it comes to the field so you know if you're training at a certain level meters per minute or other the GPS sort of metrics that's consistent with what you perform on the, the weekend in the game day, well, it, it, it only leads to give you more confidence and with that more confidence, you get better performance and, and the cycle continues. So, yeah, you know, they will add depth, but we also want the individual to be really staking their claim as best they possibly can for for, for all 17 spots in the team. I suppose that, that you're pretty much looking at a group of recruits coming in who've tasted top grade mm. and they'd obviously be very keen to they're, they're coming here because yeah. they want to play first grade football not just to yeah. add depth to the club yeah absolutely so and you know they're all they're all fine young men you know um, that we've all connected well with so far and we can't wait until the time when they're here to to progress it and, and give them that opportunity to flourish well this all flows really nicely into my follow-up question which is fantastic uh, Parramatta's had a great deal of success in the development of external NRL talent in recent years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could name a whole chunk of the squad, but just off the top of my head, Nathan Brown, obviously you mentioned him playing State of Origin this year, Murata Niakora, you talked about before, Mark, and even Sean Lane, and even the recently departed Andrew Davey, are all examples of players that have come to Parramatta and taken significant steps forwards as players after joining our club. Mm-hmm. Um, so my follow-up to that is, how much of that process is the play development aspect versus scouting the NRL and the surrounds of the NRL for players that might have been overlooked. Yeah, well, it's a balance, really, isn't it? It's, it's you know, the balance of the science versus the art, you know, and around um, that's with, with talent, that's with, you know, like data, with some of the, the, the profiling tools. It's, uh, it, I, I, you know, it's always nice to see homegrown talent come through because generally they identify with the club uh, a lot more and because they have done so for a lot longer. You know, that's, that's sort of inherent in their in their being you know like around a rugby league player so um you know and those those players you mentioned at all all levels like nathan brown when he came to Parramatta, was you know a very good first grade player now he's a representative player so that's another another tick you know or feather in the cap of, of brad and the club that they're able to do that andrew davy to be able to he has a very unique story to get mm. him his debut this year and perform in the manner he, he did um, taking out the Rookie of the Year award, you know, was fantastic. And, the, and they're very satisfying, you know. So it, it shows that, you know, we can, our, our, our programs, our staff, we can take a player, you know, from you know, wherever they may be to the next level, which is important because, you know, we need to do that as a club, don't we, to go to the next level sort of like now mm-hmm. from where we're, where we're heading. We're heading in the right direction, but we've got to continually keep taking that next step, so... Awesome. Now, there was a bit of mid-season roster management that raised some eyebrows from fans. We had mm-hmm. Sam Hughes promoted from the top 30 late in the, uh, in the piece in 2020. And it led to a lot of people asking us as to how close he was to making an NRL debut. Sorry. And obviously, he didn't make that debut. But uh, Sam's a player that TCT has covered in depth over recent years throughout his progress through the reps and then into the jersey fleet. Um, can you share a few thoughts on his outlook for Parramatta? Yeah, it's very exciting, isn't it, really? He, he's a big... Athletic, yeah, big he's, a unit. he's a big he's a athletic unit. unit. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, yeah. he's not afraid to, to throw the weight around a bit. And, and you know, as a young man, you know, at not even 20 yet, you know, like it's, he's got to, he's got a lot of time, you know, to mature. His best, his best footy won't be, you know, uh, might be next year, you know, it, it'll, it'll take a few years. Um, we'll see how he handles the, the, the pre-season, the off-season and things like that. But, I mean... Like I said, sometimes you know we you need to allow the athletes time to mature and see how we can accelerate that. So fans I, are always so excited to see a kid sort of thrust. Oh into yeah, the water, yeah. But like you said, the process yeah. behind it to make sure that they can maximise their potential. Yeah, and we want to make sure that you know, like he's fit, he's he's athletically prepared uh, from an injury sort of you know prehab sort of thing yes. around his knees, his joints, and everything like that. Because once you get out there in NRL level. It's um, you're in the grind. Absolutely, you know, and you're playing against some very, very fit and other big yes. sort of men too that can can throw it around equally like Sammy does. But he excites us no end, Sam. He really does. 
It's actually interesting what you said then about, um, you know, and what we were talking about with fans' expectations that players are just going to be bang, you know, let's, let's debut them, let's, let's get them out there. Yep. And I was, I, for one of my posts recently, I had a look at Melbourne and their, what happens with their roster yep. and how many players they debut. And I think um, out of the players that they debuted this year, there wasn't that many, mm-hmm. but the only one that became a regular in their team um, was um, their uh, Branko Lee. Yep. And he wasn't new to first grade. No. So he was a it was a storm debut, mm-hmm. but out of the others who were who made their debut for the club, be it a, a first grade debut or a, or just a straight out debut for the club, none of them were regular first graders. They they got a game or two, yeah, and and that was it. And then it was actually as I looked back over their years, it's literally the pattern that they follow where a player might even if a player comes in. They might get one or two games, but they don't become a regular first grader yep. for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it's probably not too different across the NRL, but fans expect that someone's going to come in and be, say, like Dylan Brown was one out of the box. Yeah. Because yep. he he came in and he was, he was a starter, and then even with his injury, he was straight back to being a starter in the team. Yeah. Those sort of instances of, of players who, who debut and, and, and hold their spot as a, as a rookie are, are pretty rare, aren't they? Absolutely, you know, and we look at, you know, Michael Sivo yeah. coming through as well. It's, it's, there's a fine line sometimes between um, developing and, and the perception of just handing jerseys to players, you know. The players yeah. have got to earn their debut, you know, that's for sure. And... Um, and when they do that, there's a sense of fulfilment you know, yeah. it's, that they do. And then it leads to higher motivation and then it flows on. So, yeah, it's always exciting to see a young guy make a debut and it must be incredibly pleasing for, for Brad and other coaches who can actually, you know, let those players, let those players know, hey, you're making your debut this week. So, yeah, yeah very um, satisfying. Now, just um, looking at the things that we can't ignore, like COVID from mm-hmm. this year, from a global perspective, COVID isn't showing signs of disappearing across the world. We're obviously in a better situation than uh, a lot of places around the world. But can you shed any light on lower grades, uh, the impact of another NRL bubble potentially next year on on the on those sort of lower grade competitions, and how we stand right now with Canterbury Cup contracts? Yeah. Okay. So as we speak, there's a yeah, meeting going on with the New South Wales Rugby League. Uh, now just around providing further clarity around those um, competitions. Uh, I understand that the intention of them is to proceed um, in what uh, format you know, may be, may be um, yet to be sort of finalised. This is Canterbury Cup level, how yeah. it could look like because there's so many players, like if you look at this year, that from an NRL overflow would have to break a bubble and if they were to play... and. So there's a little bit to do in that perspective uh, around the competition sort of um, structure and that. But however, you know, we can only we can only prepare as best we possibly can uh, for that. We've had our induction nights for our um, our mats, our, our SG ball, our Tasha Gale girls the squads are sort of being finalised around that, and you know, just getting back to all the players around that. Uh, around their contracts and things like that. New South Wales Rugby League recently just um, had released um, their contracting sort of template. So, you know, there was, there's a timing issue around it, but, you know, we were expecting all competitions to come back in some capacity. Um, may not be exactly what it was pre-COVID, but, uh, uh, you know, but that's what we're expecting for it to come back and we can give our players every opportunity again because it's been, I feel sorry for the players, particularly the younger ones this year. They've, they've missed a year of their development and it was really a critical year because it, we're able to get some eyeballs on them and see, you know, mm-hmm. and make better decisions sort of moving forward. Now, we haven't been able to do that, you know, in 12 months out of a, a young bloke from, say, 20 to 17 years of age, it can be critical in their development. And it, it flows all the way up to the top too because... Mm-hmm. This year, we would have fielded a very young and exciting Canterbury Cup team. 
and that team that would have been challenging the first graders on the pitch at training mm-hmm. and you had that you know that old saying iron sharpens iron and you had the hungry, hungry youngsters sort of trying to push for a spot yeah, you know, yeah. and that would also help the first graders stay on yeah, the top of their yeah. game as well so that sort of the auxiliary impact of the COVID you sort of don't appreciate if you step back and say wow like you know it's not just the, the young kids, not just the reserve graders, but even yeah. the NRL players yep. you know, are on top of their games because not getting pushed the way they might have always been pushed. Yeah, that, that's, look, that's that's very accurate and that's fair. And that's why, you know, we're, we're grateful of, of the role that our players have done here throughout, you know, the 2020 season in, in pushing the team and preparing them as well as they could to, mm-hmm. you know, to get the, the results, um, uh, mostly, yeah. <laughs> that, that we wanted all year, so. Um, now we're going to get into some of the things that r- really inspire us as football supporters, which is the pathways. Yes. Um, Parramatta's mission statement about being a development club and its investment in the pathways. Um, it's it's something that we've all that when that when that announcement was made about Parramatta being a, a development club, that was a big tick item for us. And we're also now given we've seen that there's been that change that's been brought about where um, those development squads with the, the way that's going to be organised next year um, that that also excites us as well for as far as the local talent's concerned uh, that organisation and delivery of the programs. Can you talk us through the thinking of those changes? Um, what from high level in terms of from, from New South Wales Rugby League? The, the no, changes I'm, I'm talking the... about say the, the, the development squads, we've got the, the uh, South yes, and North, North and South, the yes. programs sure. so, around that, yeah so we've got a large geographical boundary, as you, know, you yeah. guys are, are fully aware, and there's over 5,000 juniors, and it's a really big catchment area, and we want to make sure that we give uh, as, as much opportunity uh, to as many people as possible. And I think splitting from a north-south perspective will you know, provide the capacity for us to deliver that. We want to deliver meaningful programs. We want to deliver... Um, you know, exciting talent development uh, for our people, and if we if we were able to you know break that up in two different sections like that, we believe that that's the best way that we can deliver that, and that way we can get we can get to meet people, we can get to meet their families, we can get our our talent ID, our eyeballs on the players, and and um, uh, you know and identify, um, connect with, uh, give that opportunity to improve, and then as they work through like a a pathways structure um, going through from development squads, you know, to junior representative teams, and and then you know excelling from that, then progressing up to a train and trial, uh, whether it's twenties or twenty uh, ones or um, or NRL, and then development list, and you know, you know that's the that's a piece we like to. So they're they're exciting for me if they come together and, and play a bit of a, a game at the end of it, because I mean let's face it, all all all. Um, Athletes, they like playing games. Yeah, and uh, so that that was around it, and and you know Matt Brady deserves a lot of credit in that sort of space um, to try and bring that you know from concept uh, to reality. I know our, our recruitment, our elite pathways recruitment team, you know, working very hard around there, and, and from everyone we've spoken to, it's been very well uh, received, which is which is also good and important because you know if we were to have it in one location. People would have to travel, and you might not, you know, that have impacts on family, uh, parents that have to, you know, to, to travel around that. So it might be having them geographically dispersed like that. Uh, you know, might be might be um, better for attendance rates, participation. Um, so yeah, we're we're really excited about that, and, and we'll get a chance to have a look and see how successful it is throughout that, and then again learn from that again, and uh, just continue to make. Um, make improvements wherever wherever the need may be. With that renewed focus on the geographical boundaries of Parramatta mm-hmm. and the identification and development of that junior talent, I'm sort of curious as to how the club plans to balance those sort of internal talents alongside the, the kids that you get outside of those catchments and find them elsewhere, like in countries yep. up wales or even New Zealand. Yeah, sure. Well, what what part of being a development club, if we'd like to identify that, is so obviously give an opportunity to our own. And when I say our own, that's our, our junior league. The Parramatta Junior League is big. And as I mentioned, we've got a lot of clubs. We're 31 clubs. And we've got over 500, uh, over 5,000 sort of participants in 
various formats. So, so that's big, and we want to to service those. You know, it takes a lot to provide that opportunity. So, you know, that's the primary focus if we've got the talent within. Look, we will recruit external players. Uh, absolutely, we will, but it'll be on on one a positional need. So, whatever gaps we've got, or secondly, um, an exceptional talent perspective. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily walk past the next Andrew Johns if I didn't say that yeah, yeah. just for the for the sake yeah. of it. So an exceptional talent could be NRL worthiness and if our talent ID guys believe that that's the case, you know, it's not to say that we'll go out there and, and going to recruit 24 of the, the 25, that have to be a positional need and or an exceptional talent. So, yeah. Now a bit of an unfair one, Mark. That's okay. <laughs> as, as a member of the recruitment and retention committee, yep. what would give you the greatest buzz? Boo of a pathways player yeah. or an external recruit coming in and adding something real special to the team? Yeah, okay, so it's, it's I, I guess it depends on um, someone's definition of a pathway player, like that can vary from piece to piece because you could have like a pathway player, could be someone that's come here when they're 16, 17 and played in our in our uh, junior representative oh, teams. Which, yeah, and Dylan Brown. Dylan yeah, Brown, yeah, 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 yeah. Was, You could think that, okay, well, they're certainly pathway player or there could be someone like a Hayes Dancer we mentioned yeah. that is a local from, from junior, yeah. That's right. So I mean yeah. so that, that that's one piece. I, I do like the, the, the and this is probably um, <laughs> making it a little bit personal. As a young fellow I wanted I dreamt of playing for the club that, that I supported and played in. So that meant a lot to me. So I know how much it would have meant to like Hayes Dunster playing in that yeah. um, junior league coming through. But that's great. But so I'd have, a, I guess, a tendency or a bias towards that if I had to, had to lean. But also when you look at players that come through, whether they're pathway players or not, and you mentioned one before around Andrew Davey, and, and if we use Dylan Brown as, as an example as well, Reed Money, yeah, great people, just great blokes. You know, they'll do anything for anyone. They're just, you know, they're just, you, you, no one could ever have a knock on them as people. And to see them develop, you know, you, you, you can't help but just, uh, you know, admire you know the journey they've been on and, and feel nothing but absolute satisfaction and joy for them achieving you know their dream as well because um they may not have had the opportunity to yeah. sort of previously so my bias is towards a bit of a pathway but i do good like to see good, them all, good all develop good answer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cover it all right <laughs> okay look finally just back on the nrl yep when can we expect the squad to commence their pre-season yeah because there's a unique sort of approach the pre-season the competition finishes late yeah the players got their mandated break you've got state of origin as well yeah okay so we'll have our rookies in on the 30th of uh, November so that's that's not too long now no, no. but uh, yeah so they'll come through and, and, and uh, receive their inductions and, and whatnot uh, most of the squad will then return uh, on the 14th of December so they'll get a solid week of training in before Christmas break. You know, before Christmas, yeah. <laughs> then that's okay. And then the, the representative guys will return in January at some point. So, I mean, it is a disrupted year for everyone, but in many ways, we've got to be grateful that we've you know yeah. we've had the competition mm-hmm. and you know the guys are, that are still playing now. I don't think we would swap it for anything. I did speak to a former, a high-profile first-grade player with the club. Who and shall remain nameless? Who shall remain nameless? <laughs> and his philosophy was, we only really need the preseason from after Christmas. Yeah, that's all we, you know, as players. That's what Mark was talking about. The prehab aspect of preseason is huge. Yeah, um, getting the players operate from a certain zone, I suppose. Yeah, to actually, and it's their injury rates. It's, it's it's their loads as well. The load management, you know, it's, yeah. it's if kids are coming from a. Well, you know, disrupted you like this. They've done even less. But if they're coming from, you know, a, a, a junior or an underage sort of program into the where the loads might be at a certain level, into the NRL program where loads, you know, are increased, it takes an incredible amount of uh, amount of monitoring from the athletic performance department staff yes. to make sure that there's not those um, uh, spikes that lead to, to injury and, and and every athlete's unique and different so it's uh, I mean generally the older the older blokes that because uh, they've got the muscle memory and things like that they're quite happy to come back they, 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 this was, this, the, the, unnamed, this was the unnamed player said five or six weeks will do me yeah. and I thought 
yeah. 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 So he was in the veteran stage when he said that. Yeah. Too, no, so. no, no, fair <laughs> Mate, once again, thank you for joining us today. Um, obviously, we're wishing you and the team all the best moving into into 2021, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's been great to have this chat today. No, look, thanks very much for for having me on. I appreciate your patience throughout the year. Had a numerous uh, conversation, so that that's been great. And, uh, uh, you know, I enjoyed the connection. Thank you, guys. Yep. And as always, to everyone listening to the tip sheet, thanks for stopping by, guys, and we'll catch you on the next episode.